Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick. It's a great pleasure to welcome back on Viewpoints, Jen McVeady, who is the creator of Seven Steps to Writing Success, the largest writing program in Australia, and it's used by over 100,000 teachers in Australia alone, and has actually proved to raise NAPLAN scores by 10 to 30% in less than a year. Jen's written over 20 books, and her novel, Dreamcatcher is a popular Year 7, 8 text in schools. Um, it's also the most stolen book in Hawaii State Lab Library. But firstly, uh, welcome again to Viewpoints, Jen McVeady. Oh, thank you, Henry. It's so good to chat again. Uh, I always love talking writing with you too. Mm. Well, you're such a, <laughs> a, a gifted writer and teacher of writing yourself. Um, for those who are not familiar, tell us a little bit about... Um, the seven steps to writing success, which, which which really is a profoundly important tool used in many schools. Well, it started out just to make writing simple, because I think we tend to walk into classrooms and say to kids, write me a story um, and don't give them much explicit instruction. So as an author, I looked at what were the main techniques I was using in writing. And um, every author knows you always start with a sizzling start. Every movie starts with a great start. Um, so I thought, oh, yeah, that's going to be one of the steps that we'll teach kids. And then, oh, you've got to have a great tension scene and you've got to build it up slowly, get more and more tense. I said, that'll be another step. Um, so basically it's breaking down those those components of writing into strategies that kids can use. There's seven of them, so it's achievable. And then they just practice that little step. So they keep it chunked and they keep it small and they don't have to write the whole story till they've got a lot more mastery on their writing skills. Mm. Where did we go wrong um, in the lead up to the time when, you know, you were teaching and you you could see that uh, there were better ways of going about, more strategic ways about going to writing? It's always very difficult because I don't think teachers were were taught themselves how to write because nobody seems to have been able to break it down into those sort of authorial skills. Um, There's a lot of information about secretarial skills like spelling and grammar because they're kind of right or wrong. So very easy to teach and to get teachers to pass that on. But the more intangible aspects of writing, uh, such as, you know, what makes a great ending, a great ending that resonates with an author and with a reader. And so poor teachers were never taught that. And so therefore they didn't get to pass it on to students. Mm. What's the link between reading and writing in terms of um, impacting on each other? I think there's about a 99% link between a good reader and a good writer. Um, nowadays, there's a lot more um, courses on writing and how to teach writing to authors. But basically, when I was growing up as a kid, all I did was read and somehow you internalised what what was good writing and then somehow did it yourself. It was trial and error, really. Mm. Now, one of the debates, and you'd have heard this, and I'm sure you've answered this question a million times, as have I, one way or the other, uh, the the ongoing debate uh, between whole language approach and the phonetic approach to learning to reading. What What's your take on that debate? Well, I've got a bit of a maverick one on that because I watched my two children and they both learnt to read differently. So one of them had um, 
ear problems, you know, like blue ear type thing as a child and so didn't get the sound laid down for words and that leads to things like, you know, dyslexia. And so he needed the phonetic approach, whereas the other child, she was just like, oh, oh, here's a book. And she just learned to read it. So I think they're, they're very valuable, but for different kids, not for everyone. Mm. And and in many ways, I've found the debate as an educator myself, um, in many ways, the, the way the debate is conducted, it, it becomes a polarised argument, which doesn't really do anybody any justice. No, it, it shouldn't be either or. And, you know, one doesn't negate the other. No. Pity, pity it can't be simplified um, in that sort of term, Jen, more out. But, but the curriculum and teaching and learning is, is a highly politicised uh, arena, isn't it? Definitely. And um, I think teachers have the best knowledge and should have the strongest voice when you're talking about that. But we're getting people weighing in who are, um, you know, more concerned about the system as a whole. But I think if you want to change the system, you, you change it from the grassroots of what's happening with kids and teachers in the classroom. Mm. Interesting it doesn't happen that way, even though logically it makes a lot of sense. Now, that plans out and about, and um, of course, um, the seven steps is something which assists us in that plan in a very constructive way, not one of those mechanical, boring, repetitive ways that uh, sometimes takes the joy out of writing. Um, that plan, the results this year appear on balance to... Uh, be counterintuitive in terms of what people thought might have happened um, given the pandemic's impact on on-site learning. Uh, are you surprised? I'm delighted. Um, I, I think there are kids out there who like taking charge of their own learning and we've given them a bit more power now because they're working from home um, and, you know, they're not sort of being um, in a classroom with other people, which can often, you know, be a lot of fun and they miss it greatly. But it also means that that means that class is being taught often at the medium level and not at the level that kids are at. So I'm, I see it as a great win for education in that the kids have got more power. Mm-hmm. So just um, elaborating on that, what's the lesson we as educators and parents can learn uh, from the remote learning uh, exercise that isn't all doom and gloom? I, I think kids need to be more in charge of their learning and teachers can be more guide than the one bearing all the knowledge because there's a lot of way to find knowledge and uh, kids are very clever about doing that. So I'd love to see kids, you know, start to design their own curriculum and start to say, hey, I want to learn this more than that and and just become, yeah, masters of their own learning. That's got implications for the training, pre-service training uh, of teachers, I would imagine, there, Jen. It would have, yes, and it, it's a really a, quite a radical shift, but... I, I do think so, and I think there's a lot that can be learned from going online and going hybrid methods of working 
And, oh boy, I tell you, my hat off to teachers who are doing both. And it must be an enormous challenge to them. But look at the, the talent and skills that teachers have shown behind all this. Hmm. Yes, that's a good point uh, uh, on which to take a break. We do need to take a short break. Jen, you can hold the line? Yes, I will. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick. I'm in the middle of a discussion with Jen McVady, who is the creator of the Seven Steps to Writing Success, the largest writing program in Australia. And we're just talking about uh, a whole lot of things, including NAPLAN. But firstly, welcome back, Jen. Oh, thanks, Henry. I'm here. I'm, and we're so glad. Now, there's been some commentary in in the media, um, particularly a blog uh, recently, on uh, some key points about uh, NAPLAN, uh, comments made about how it uh, could have impacted uh, negatively on kids' writing. You might like to elaborate. One of them is... um, um, the the time that NAPLAN really is a first draft, NAPLAN in writing is a first draft test. Is that always a good thing? Well, no, because as we we know, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't put a blog out, for instance, without leaving it and then reviewing it and improving it. And so, what we're doing is we're giving this test to kids. And it's under pressure and it's first draft only draft. But part of the marking system behind NAPLAN is that there are six points out of 47, yeah, and six points given for spelling and five points given for punctuation. And if you're writing first draft, well, you don't have time to check the spelling. It's a good point. It's a good point. Another one, and you spoke about this yourself, inference is a technique used by strong writers and not not often explicitly taught. Where's the relevance of that comment to um, to NAPLAN? The marking guide of NAPLAN is a bit rigid, and so sometimes the subtleties of what you're trying to put across are not always picked up by that marking guide. So, for instance, if you want to see how uh, two kids are getting on, um, uh, you know, uh, a brother and sister, for instance, and the brother is a bit in awe of the sister um, and he would deliberately then, because he's, you know, like a 12-year-old boy, use very simple language, then he'd be talking about his sister saying, oh, she was my sort of sister um, because they were stepsister and brother or, um, yeah, she dragged me out of bed at 6 a.m. I'd seen it on the clock, but I'd never used that time. Right. And so it's a, you can you can see just from those subtle words that the the the, the boy is a little bit scared uh, and in awe of the sister, and I don't think marking guides are designed to be that subtle. It's mm, a good point. Another one was a comment made in that blog of that it was the voice that hard to define but necessary part of writing that worked against me. I was writing in a teenage boy's voice with casual colloquial vocabulary and that lost him four marks overall in a number of sections um the voice uh, and obviously with seven steps to writing uh, you'd be very conscious of what that means you might like to elaborate well this particular story that we're talking about was a response to naplan earlier this year and the topic was following tracks And it was about this brother and sister following each other. Now, a 12-year-old teenage boy 
doesn't use big vocabulary. And it also has a, a, a boy like those, you know, they use a lot of slang. So you want that to be part of the character of this boy. And when he talks about the fact that, say, oh, you know, I, I slumped through rain, rain and more rain, um, then that's hard to define and it's hard to get points for. So the, there were points lost in that story because the words were too simple and uh, the vocabulary was quite slangy and that counted against a writer. Mm, mm. Um, another one is planning. Um, planning is essential brainstorming ideas to approaches. You don't really get that chance in that plan, do you? Oh, no. Gosh, five minutes. So when I sat this test that we're talking about, five minutes to plan, and I can't even write a shopping list in five minutes, um, let alone a story that has a beginning, a, a, a creative tension and a great ending and, and create characters and setting as well. Five minutes is not long enough to even think you need to be in a creative state of mind you need to get your brain into um, what we call alpha brain waves which anyone who does the seven steps knows that's the creative part of the brain waves and yeah you, you you will turn out just cookie cutter ideas if you're only giving kids five minutes to plan it's just not enough Mm. Now, despite those uh, those concerns and, 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 and perhaps limitations of NAPLAN, um, your view is not to slam NAPLAN as the test is quite a reasonable one, but it needs some fine-tuning. What do you mean by all that in more specifics? Well, the testing does really uh, value good writing. So it will value things like ideas um, good, strong ideas. It values um, cohesion, which is all about planning and make sure a piece of writing flows. It really does value a lot of those authorial side of um, of writing, and that's a, that's a great thing. And that's what teachers are teaching, you know, in the classroom. Uh, they're now saying because the spelling and the punctuation are eleven altogether out of those forty-seven marks. There's now uh, things being bandied around that might say, well, we do test the spelling conventions in the language conventions test, so maybe we should take it out of the writing component of NAPLAN. So it would be good to see that happen, and that way kids don't worry about, you know, just spelling everything correctly when they should be worried about being creative. Mm. So getting back to seven steps and its success in helping raise NAPLAN scores in a way that uh, doesn't betray good teaching practice, what is it about seven steps that does that? Well, it gives teachers a tool that helps break down that very complex process of writing. And then, for instance, if we do sizzling starts and we... I can explain sizzling starts in about three minutes to teachers and to kids and they just get it immediately. And uh, and then what we do is we give them the tools to practice it. So one of them, a great tool, is you get kids to write five sizzling starts in five minutes and then you just give teachers a whole lot of topics that they can play with and kids can practice just writing a sizzling start, nothing else, not the whole story, just that start. And so it's very simple um but 
kids catch on so fast and that's the real beauty of it. Do we underestimate children in in their capacity to, to, to learn and the rate of learning and their adaptability to these things, Jen? I think we do. I remember talking once to someone from a private school and you know how a lot of schools who um, send their kids uh, in year nine off, all those kids with all those hormones in year nine packed off to a, a camp, you know, like Clunes or um, what's the one up near Mansfield. And and they basically have to, you know, learn to chop wood and keep themselves warm and budget for shopping and, you know, life skills. Do you know the sort of camps I'm talking about? Yes, I do, but I can't recall its name. Yeah, uh, Timbertop. Timbertop, that's it, yes. Yes. Um, And what's really interesting is uh, the curriculum coordinator there said that when they came back from that camp, they had to change the Year 10 syllabus because the students were no longer passive learners they wanted to be in charge. And I thought that was just a brilliant strategy um, to, you know, really help kids you know, be more confident and more powerful in their learning. Now, now that all sounds very logical and sensible. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people wouldn't argue with it. But the other side of the coin is changing the, uh, the mindset of, of, teachers and even parents in relation to the sharing of the agency in in, in learning? Mm. It's, a, it's a hard one. Um, I just heard the other day that um, a school had sent home something saying to parents, please don't fix the spelling because, you know, we need to know what what growth needs to happen with the students. But what was happening was, of course, parents are homeschooling and, you know, they, they fix the spelling because it's, it's one of the things that they know how to improve and do. So it's just hard because everybody wants the best for kids. But uh, sometimes that means letting go of some of the control we have and letting kids step up. Of course, that requires a great deal of self-confidence in oneself to to let go, Jen, doesn't it? Well, it does. Um, But once you do, look, years and years ago when I was a teacher, I had the best moment, you know, those real moments that you just savour as a teacher. Um, And I, I had... I taught a negotiated curriculum. So there were parts of my English curriculum that, you know, were explicit teaching. And then I'd say, okay, we've got a three-week project. You can work on your own or in a group and um, come up with a project that you want to work on and uh, we'll, we'll, you know, sign the contracts and do everything. And and kids loved it. They, they you know, I had a girl who wanted to be a journalist, she went off and did research on that and then started up a little newspaper and um, someone who loved animals went out and did a pamphlet on the RSPCA and got, I think, about 20 animals saved and adopted. Um, And so they were in charge of their learning. And I was basically just a mentor. And one day in high school, of course this is, so one day... You know how you don't teach every lesson when you're a secondary teacher, unlike mm-hmm. primary teachers? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I misread my 
my diary. And I was sitting in the staff room just drinking coffee and marking work and, you know, chilling out. And I opened my diary to see where I was supposed to be next. And I went, holy cow, I was supposed to be now. And it's like 10 minutes before the end of the lesson. So those kids have been on their own for a good 40 minutes. And I went pounding down the corridor. Um, and I, I barged into the classroom and there they all were working. And I'm like, how, 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 what happened? Why didn't you come and get me? And they just looked up and they said, well, we didn't need you. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Mm, that's the ultimate. Jen, as always, time gets away from us um, when we could keep on talking for, for, for ages uh, and, the, and, and the words of wisdom and inspiration that you share are just uh, priceless. Well, I hope they help. <laughs> They certainly are. Can I thank you as always for your time and uh, and wise words and inspiring words uh, for our um, our teaching profession. Um, it's always a pleasure, Henry. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. That was Jen McVitie, who's the uh, the creator of Seven Steps to Writing Success. Um, always, always uh, a valuable uh, contributor to um, the education discourse. We'll take a short break, listeners. Don't go away. Mm-hmm. 